for many centuries to a dreadful dynasty of vicious vampire ducks, the Counts of Duckula. Legend has it that these foul beings can be destroyed by a stake through the heart or exposure to sunlight. This does not suffice, however, for they may be brought back to life by means of a secret rite that can be performed once a century when the moon is in the eighth house of Aquarius. The latest reincarnation did not run according to plan. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is splendid and suitably spooked with a clean pair of pants on standby. Shouldn't it really be a, a dirty pair of pants at this time of year? Well, this is so you can change into said pants after you I mean, shat yourselves on our recommendation for this exactly. pure terror. <laughs> Hello everyone. Uh, we're back for our second of the Horror Film Festival two-parter. Make sure you've checked out part one. It is available. It was two weeks ago in the archives. And we've still got Ash with us. Ash will be the star of The Last Showing with Robert England returning here. Ash, are you all right, mate? Well, I don't know about star, <laughs> but okay. Hi. <laughs> Hello. So in part one, we gave you our choices on what supernatural and slasher subgenre films we think you should check out. So we will crack on with the next part of it. So last time out, we discussed the slasher genre, which is a genre which probably kickstarted the moral panic that led into the video nasty list within the UK. Mary Whitehouse was the bastion of small C conservatism that the youth of today, or rather the 1970s as they were, uh, would be corrupted and they needed to be protected from themselves and these films. Did her crusade actually achieve anything positive or was the moral outrage just a load of hot air? Stu, what, what do you think? I mean, with censorship, is it good? Is it bad? Should there be more? I don't know. What do you think I mean, of it all? We're obviously, I mean, contrary to popular belief, I mean, even you are too young to remember this. Um, I mean, she, <laughs> by the sense of it, she was basically just a miserable old cunt who'd never got laid, to be honest. Basically, yeah. And censorship's fine. There's no problem with it. But that's all it is. You put an age on it, there you go, done. To, t- to try and, as long as no one's getting hurt by you, by the making of the things, then what's the issue? <laughs> you, if it's if it's ridiculous and it's so bad that only certain people over a certain age can watch it, then fine. But you can't just ban things. It's ridiculous. It is strange. I mean, they try to take certain films to court to try and get them to stop being made. And I know that um, A Clockwork Orange, which is a film that I've went to see quite recently, that's often attributed to the video nasty list, but it actually predated it. And that got sort of pulled from the cinemas and stuff at a later date. These films, especially when they're viewed in a modern context, they don't really have that much about them. 
but at least the Clockwork Orange, it had art, it had story. A lot of the films that were banned was Drek-like Driller Killer. Like, don't get me wrong, it's a fun film, but it's not a good film. Like, within the context of actual good cinema, there's no real depth to it. It's just nonsense. It's fun nonsense, don't get me wrong, but it, it kind of chimes in with the um, the moral panic that was over comic books but way back when, back in the 60s with um, Wortham's Corruption of the Youth, I think it was called, where Batman and Robin living together would obviously corrupt young boys into a homosexual lifestyle. Like, it's that kind of bollocks that I just don't... I don't think it flew then because we'd been through... Or I say we, I wasn't there. The world had been through the summer of love in the 60s. We, they'd grown up and the 70s were a bit grittier and earthier. So why all of a sudden is a horror film wrong? I just don't get it. Matt, what, what are your thoughts on censorship? I think I think there should be censorship in the sense that people sometimes need protection from themselves and they may not know what they're seeing and there should be, as there is, guidelines for people to be able to see things safely and, and you know, not give themselves psychological issues. However, I think it goes too far the other way a lot of the time in which the only thing that you're the only thing that you're doing is making something more attractive and more niche for people that are going to take it too far in the first place. If something, and I, I, I know I call you a hipster all the time, Andy, I don't mean this in, in, in the sense that you're, you fall into this category, but if you're going to see something and be um, influenced by it enough to go shoot up a school or go murder somebody on the back of it, you're going to do it regardless of whether this film is censored or not. Do you know what I mean? By censoring it, you give it a wider appeal to to idiots like this. You give it a, you give it you make that movie more of an appeal because these people think that they are on the edges of society and they don't belong. And now they've got a film or or a piece of media that goes with it, and I think that can be dangerous. Um, so I think that I think there is a place, but I think it's often used in the wrong way, like like how we discussed stand culture a few weeks back. Mm, yeah. I mean, you just reminded me then of the quote from Scream, the movies don't create psychos, movies make psychos more creative. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it is, isn't it? It's that you are right. If someone was going to be a whack job, they were already a whack job before they saw the film. But the film isn't going to change anything in, in real terms. I always used to have this thing like in my head that I used to think, if I was ever going to go on a mad killing spree, I'd intentionally make sure I did it whilst everyone could hear me listening to like proper pop music waving <laughs> like and while I'm holding a Bible or something. So like they can't spin it that but I know they do it. They'd find a picture of me with a slipknot t shirt on from like ten years ago. But like I'd want people to still, like be able to link it to like, oh my god, the Britney Spears killer. Oh my god, pop music must <laughs> be the enemy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Ash, what are your thoughts on the the topic? I'd struggled really because I'd never I've, I'd never heard of it before you, before it came up, and we've gone so far on the other end now. When you've got films like The Human Centipede, and you've got Hostel, which is just showing torture porn, and it's it's weird 
there doesn't there does need to be some sort of form of censorship because I don't need to see human centipede. I don't think anybody really does. But from what I've read of her, she just I think she was just from a different time, really. As I say, I struggled with this one really. Yeah, I think you are right. It does hit the nail on the head. She's from a different time. I think she was an elderly lady at the time when she did it. So even though she lived through the the liberation of the 60s, I think she still yearned for the 30s, to be perfectly honest. So I think there is an element of that to it. I think with that's always the case with these things as well. It's always old people. It's. Mm. I mean, that, that, that's probably why COVID's got a good thing going for it. Really, get rid of them all. I mean, we can do what we want then. <laughs> but it's like with games with like Mortal Kombat in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It was all old people moaning about it. No one went and killed them. Like Matt said, no one went and killed people because of they played Mortal Kombat. It was. It's just old people don't like new things that are that are challenging, and it always ends up like this. And you look at like the men. The- like the world's yeah. record deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People don't understand world's records and, and jamming down when they cleared away shit from last year. It's all in play. I mean, the most recent sort of... It wasn't a video nasty, but it was something that was removed from a, a wider release. Was the Child's Play 3 film off the back back of the murder of uh, young James Bulger. That was a film that didn't have any links at all, really, to anything, but got wound up in this this whole, again, a moral panic that happened in the 90s at this point. So at a point where you'd think we'd start to be a little bit more enlightened, it kind of goes to show that we're always just one disaster away from people trying to not repress, um, what's the word I'm looking for, to try and step on other people, basically, to try and stop people from enjoying what they enjoy. I mean, this this film had nothing to do with anything. A few years later, we had Columbine, where apparently the, the killers listened to Marilyn Manson, and all of a sudden Marilyn Manson was a terrible human. I mean, it turns out he is a terrible human, but it wasn't anything to do with <laughs> Columbine, is the, the point I'm getting at. But it does seem to be that people are quick to jump to art in order to defend their shitty opinions I think at times it's not fair that leads me to my next question then so is there a line for yourself is there anything personally that you think when that's cross it will just take you out of the movie not not necessarily that you'll turn the film off but it'll just leave you cold watching it Ash anything for yourself see I don't know if I've got the pretense of the film wrong but for me it's pointless jump scares it's like your paranormal activities which really spawn these. It's just, they bore me. It's like jump scare for jump scare's sake. It's just, that's not what I'm here for. It's, I don't want to see the, the see a, like a cat run across the screen and it's caused a massive screaming mm. fit. It just doesn't do anything for me. It just turns me off. It, it literally turns me off the film. You get two or three in a row or something like that. It, it just does nothing for me. Mm, you need a bit of story between the uh, the nonsense. Yeah, mm. and so I think I think Paranormal Activity really popularised it in a sense because obviously it was such a low budget. And that's all, and they all all they had was not found footage. It was what CCTV, wasn't it? More than anything, 
baby cam yeah and all they had to go with was that and on the, such a small budget so all they had was jump scares but working during that film if you were doing a screen check all you heard was people screaming because because a book fell or something like that and you just like oh my god shut up infuriating <laughs> Matt what, what turns you off um arrogance tardiness oh sorry me what about horror films yeah um <laughs> No, for me, anything involving bodily fluids, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> if we're going down the piss and shit route, I'm out. To be um, to be fair, when it goes down that that kind of avenue, <laughs> human centipede esque, um, <laughs> I'm just like, oh come on, you know, there's no need for this. We're all we're, we live in a we live in a society. We don't need to explore this. Um, Again, jump scare kind of things for jump scare's sake. Um, when when it comes to stuff like Hostel and taking all the what was good about Saw, but then ramping it up because at the time they misconstrued what actually was good about the first Saw movie, and it wasn't all the violence; it was actually the psychology that came with it. Mm. Um, <sighs> You know, I, I I like violence for violence' sake. Like Battle Royale is one of my favourites, but I think when it's done to the point where it's it's so extreme, it doesn't offer anything anymore. Like you, there's only so many times you can see someone's head creatively be chopped off mm. before it just becomes it just becomes routine. And I think that's the, that's the problem with stuff like Hostel. Like how do you, how do you escalate that even further without just making it sillier and sillier? Mm. I think that's. You're both sort of tying with my answer. It's when anything is used to a level where it can be considered gratuitous, that it is there just because it's there, because they can, whether that's like violence or foul and abusive language. If it's just there because we can do it, so why not? I think it ruins it. It needs to be done. There needs to be a context to it. I know we spoke about it with comedy before that like I don't have a line when it comes to joking about things as long as the context supports it I think that's perfectly acceptable but then like when you get to the levels of hostile and, and human centipede as you've you've mentioned they're not disgusting upsetting movies they're bland they're doing shit for like literally doing shit in some circumstances for the sake of doing it and it just makes it so boring it just leaves me really cold it doesn't make me think that's disgusting. I need to watch more. It just makes me think I've got ironing to do. Like it's it's just it's that level of boredom I hit with those kind of films. Just nothing for me. Stu, what do you think? I mean, I obviously love well, not love. <laughs> that'd be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> Human Centipede and uh, Hostel and Hostel Two. Um, it's a, it, it is a similar kind of theme though, where it's. It's almost like too much of a good thing, though they don't know when to stop. And I think all, all three of you said pretty much the same thing, but just in a different way. Like Ash said, too many jump scares. Well, it just, it's not a scare then, is it? It's just annoying. And then too much eating shit is too much. It's like, it's, it's all best in moderation. I think, like when we talked about Mandy. Has that gone out yet? Or who knows? Next week, Joe. Next, Next week, week. Yeah. yeah. Well, you listen to that, and, and there's just so much that could be done better 
for reasons that we get into next week. Um, but yeah, it's just know your limit. There's nothing off limits in terms of content, but know your limit of what you're actually going to show and how how many times you're going to show the same thing. Mm. Less is more sometimes, isn't yeah. it? Let's, let's be honest. Yeah, you are right. Yeah, spot on. So that was a bit of a heavy start, I think. So let's go for mm. some lighter recommendations. I want to hear about comedy horror. Like it almost sounds like a contradiction in terms, but as I said last week, when I think horror and comedy together, they're very closely related. They use similar tactics to elicit an elemental response in the audience, whether it's fear or laughter for, for obvious reasons. There have been all kinds of comedy subgenre within within horror. So it's a limitless pit, really. So you've got your slapstick from Repossessed. You've got your black comedy of Ghostbusters. You've got your parody of scary movies or the mockumentary style of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. So have a think about what you're going to pick. My recommendation is going to be one I watched in preparation for this because it, it was quite obvious that it would have normally been Shaun of the Dead, but I thought I'll give something different this time. So I decided to recently re-watch What We Do in the Shadows. I haven't seen this film for quite a while, and I am a big fan of Taika Waititi, and obviously he's the main man in that movie. It's brilliant. It is it kind it's almost on a level of spinal tap level of good comedy, good improv documentary style comedy. It's superb. I love the werewolves who won't swear. We werewolves, not swearwolves. It's fucking silly, but really good fun. Um, I'm gonna have to watch the series now that I've watched the film. The so series is excellent. I'm gonna have and Matt Berry's in it. I am a big fan of Matt Berry. That was the only reason I watched the film again was to to then start watching the uh, the series. So yeah, my answer is what we do in the shadows. Ash, what's your answer, please? I also avoided Shaun the Dead because it's just too easy. I went for. Um, Cabin in the Woods from 2011 Um, I think it's more because it sort of it's I wouldn't say it takes the piss but it pays homage to all the different horror genres if you've seen the film obviously they have the stereotypical each person they've got the girl at the end the, the jock, the stoner and they go on a trip to a cabin in the woods, shockingly. Um, but on the side story, they've got this underwater, underground tech team, and you find out that they're controlling the entire event and taking bets on who's going to kill them. And they've got all the different tropes of different horror things. And the general hilarity comes from the underground tech team, really. But I think as a film, it's probably one of the better ones that I've seen. I had, I had no idea what it. I went in there expecting it to be just a kind of well, being a forest-based slasher. I had no clue about any of the other stuff, so I was it was like, what the fuck is going on? But I think that kind of, that heightened it in a way because I, I went in completely unprepared. Yeah, I, I remember the trailers not really giving the game away either. Like, they did a good job of promoting that film where you, it did lead you to believe it was going to be something totally different. Matt, I know you're a big fan of Cabin of the Woods, if I remember correctly. Big, big fan, yeah. It's um, 
it's exactly as Ash said. It, it's a really, it's an excellent homage, but it's made with love as well. It's made with love of all the, uh, uh, and uh, to kind of give thanks to everything that came before it. But it's so silly and bombastic and over the top, especially once the cat's out of the bag with actually what's going on. It becomes a different film altogether. And it's just so well done. Like it, it, it I remember seeing it and thinking that has got to be one of the most original, one of the most original plots I've seen in a long time. Like I can't think of anything else like this that I've seen in recent memory. And to see something like that was just so fresh, just felt so like, man, I've, I've been treated to something different here. This isn't this the normal, because at first I thought, Christ, it's another shitty slasher. And it's a really bad one at that because they're so obviously these tropes. But then you realise it's, it's all for a reason. It's all for one big reason. Um, and I'm just too stupid to realise it at the time. <laughs> I think the build-up and then the eventual payoff of the merman as well. Oh, it's just <laughs> I howled in the cinema watching that. When you get that final payoff of the merman, it's just brilliant. Excellent. Stu, you're up next, please. I mean, this was, uh, again, going in blind, this was something, I mean, it, it's Happy Death Day. <laughs> and, again, where, for the context of this, I, I had some arguments or something, some row. So I stormed out the ace. I thought, right, I'm just going to go to the cinema then. Not knowing what was on <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> so I just went there, it turned up, and I thought, well, that's on, I'll go and watch that. I had no clue, no idea what it was whatsoever. And obviously, if I'd have known it was Time Loop, I would have said absolutely no way because of my hatred of them. But actually, this one works perfectly. And it's just, it's, I don't know, is it is it laugh out loud funny or is it just silly? I, I, I generally don't know because it, it's both. It is both. Yeah. Yeah. Because I haven't seen the, the second one. And in a way, I kind of never want to because the first one is so good. The second one tries to be like you know how when child's play became bride of chucky rather than child's play mm. it goes that route of trying to make it comedy and it makes it less funny whereas obviously the first one doesn't try to be funny and that's where the comedy comes from yeah so yeah i, I get why you wouldn't want to see the, the sequel i don't get your hatred of time loop films because you also like palm springs it's a fucking i know I think maybe that that's what that's what the thing is. If it's a comedy, if it's a time loop comedy, maybe that's what the, the thing is. Just Groundhog Day and all the other bollocks, like that that game that Matt played and tortured himself with, things like that. That I'm, Mark's but my brothers played it as well. Twelve minutes, oh, yeah. and he said it's the best thing he's ever played. And it's like why? And he, was, he played it for like nine hours. Like, There's <laughs> no way I'm playing twelve minutes over and over again for nine hours. You can no way. But yeah, I think that I think this is where the time loop phenomenon changes because Palm Springs is good as well, and I mm. watched that by mistake as well. So <laughs> I think when it comes to comedy, then it works. If it's just a a trope of um, a drama trope, then nah, just bores me. Right, I've got a film for you then, Stu. Frequently asked questions about time travel. It's a, a sci-fi comedy film with a time loop element starring Chris O'Dowd and Mark Wooten and Anna Faris, who you will know. I think you will like that. Give give that a crack. Uh, Matt, your recommendation, please. Now, 
this isn't a comedy film, but it, it, it has comedy elements, and that is Insidious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. It's, fu- it's funny. F- it's a comedy for two reasons. There are legitimate comedy elements. You have the two apprentices that come in um, who do offer some comic relief, um, and they are like bundle, like bumbering idiots, and they just kind of add a little bit of comedy value to it. But in the second, or, or say the last act, when they go into the dark realm, is it, or the other, or the ether, whatever they call it, the film becomes this really camp nonsense. Like, it, the tone completely changes, and it stops being a scary film, and it becomes this bizarre Scooby-Doo-like chase scene. And even, like, the red-faced man, who's, who's the, like, the, I wouldn't say the villain, but the main supernatural force starts like chasing him around in this really hokey way. And I'm sure there's an organ that he plays and it all gets a bit carnival and it's just hilarious. It's really funny. Like it stops being scary altogether. Um, and it's so camp. It wouldn't be out of place in like some 1960s Batman episode. Um, <laughs> it's a shame really because the film up to that point is shit scary like it's the scare it's the most scared i've ever been in a cinema was insidious um and for all the right reasons as well for someone who doesn't like jump scares all of the things that are scary are always in the shot you just don't notice they're there until you notice them and then it's fucking shit scary because it was there all the time <laughs> you know what what's what's the what's the phrase people aren't scared of the dark no people aren't uh, scared of being alone in the dark people are scared of not being alone in the dark and that's what it mm. is about um, Insidious. The things are always there. Like it will do, it will do a shot walking in, and, and there's like there's a boy in a bloody like um, what was the name? What was that show? The Victorian Shoeshine Boy, the Ghost Hunter, from like the nineties. There'd be a kid in like a Victorian Shoeshine Boy outfit just stood in the corner the whole time, and you're looking at him going, "He's going to jump out! He's going to jump out!" And like he never does, and that's more scary than him jumping out because you're expecting it. Um, but then it's hilarious at the same time because it becomes this camp chase scene that's just really ridiculous when you told me that this was going to be your recommendation i thought there's no way you're going to be able to sell this as a comedy you've done a really good job of it yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we've discussed what you see in horror but not who you see so the next question i've got for you then are about the men and women who make the movies so who is your favorite actor that you associate with horror Stu? Tobin Bell. What else has he done? He's, yeah, so, <laughs> he's, so, he's got such a distinctive face that it doesn't matter how he ages or de-ages or whatever. He, he, well, he's got cancer, he's dying, so it doesn't matter at all, does it? So, But throughout the whole Saw franchise and him coming back and being cut open and whatever, he always looks exactly the same, <laughs> however many they do. And He's one of them people you see him. I, without looking, I've got I've never seen him anything before or since, to be honest. Unless he's been like in a like he's a, a copper in X Files or something when he had long hair or something like that, that that tends to happen when you go back and watch these old shows. Yeah, I just I just love the whole jigsaw character. I know you hate it all, and I I, I like the whole series of sort. It's yeah, it gets stupid and and. It probably outstays its welcome by about four films, but I don't care. Tell me, Bell is Jigsaw. That is all he is. 
He does manage to tie those films together quite well, to be perfectly honest. He's probably the highlight of the movies. And the fact that he manages to lie there in that first one, like I dread to think how much time he must have spent lying in there in one position through all those shots. Fucking unbelievable. So, I mean, that's a good shout, definitely. Matt, who's your uh, actor du jour? I know there's, I know there's way more um, iconic people than this, so I'm not for saying he's a favourite by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise, um, just incredible. Now, hmm. I'm. I, was it? I, I don't want to peek beyond the fourth wall too much, but when I said that old things are shit, <laughs> like the original, like Tim Curry version of, um, of it just looks so hokey and ridiculous and just does absolutely <laughs> nothing for me. But this one, it wasn't scary. It wasn't terrifying. It was just so interesting. And for someone that sounds like Scooby-Doo, it was it was just an incredible performance that 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 made like I can't think of anybody else that would have pulled that off quite to the level that he did. Mm. Um, I think it was just an incredible performance that is now become iconic, and there will always be money to be made off someone selling that Pennywise mask and and doing his take on that accent. Um, I think it's just phenomenal, and I think it deserves more respect than it probably gets. Yeah, I. I love the fact that they kept him away from the kids apart from when they were shooting together. Mm-hmm. Like to, to genuinely try and shit them up. I think he's an absolutely incredible idea. And you do get that sense in the film that they are genuinely scared. Yeah, it's just, that is a really good performance. It's just like... They could have had him, like, if they ever do a... Um, because in the books, it's a space alien. Like... yeah. So I don't think they'll ever, they, you know, they could, they, you know, might do a, pre, a, a bloody um, prequel or some kind of origin story where like he was a human at one point and just his face on its own is terrifying. If it's just, they could just put him in front of a camera staring for a few minutes, uncomfortably long staring at the camera. And it's going to be shit scary because you just know he's Pennywise and he, he'll be, he's the only one now for me. It was just really, really well done. I think he, he deserves a lot of accolades for his performance. Mm. Ash, who's your favourite actor? I've gone for the Candyman himself, Tony Todd. I, it's quite relevant because obviously the new one's only just come out, which is fantastic. Um, he's also in the original Final Destination as well as the guy in the morgue. I can't think of what his name was in it, but I've um, but no, Candyman's himself, he's fantastic. Um, they are one of the more different horror, one of the more different horror film franchise, I'd say. Given trying to think how to put it, um, a set of people, their own horror genre. Um, this one was a little bit different in a sense. Than the uh, prequel, and but having him re- return right at the end, I thought was such a classy touch because mm. he is the original Candyman, and yeah, I think he's probably the guy I'd go to first. 
he does put in a really good performance. And even in the second and third films, which, nah, they're not very good, he's, he's like head and shoulders above everybody else in it. He's exceptional. Did you enjoy the, the latest Candyman, Ash? Yes, I thought it was fantastic. Mm. Um, like, I really like um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. I'm, I'm a big fan of his now. I quite want to see more of where he's going to go in the future. I thought he was brilliant. It was just, it, it screamed Jordan Peele for me, the, the mm. new Candyman. Yeah. I know he was a writer in it, not the director in this one, but it literally screamed Jordan Peele, just the way his other films have gone. Mm. I, I love the fact that Jordan Peele's next film is just called Nope. <laughs> like the balls to call a film Nope. He's just great. I, yeah, I'm, yeah I, I do like Jordan Peele too. Uh, my choice and my favourite actor of the horror genre is your namesake. It is the one and only Bruce Campbell, Ash, Evil Dead. Like, I, I love the Evil Dead trilogy. I, the new one was okay, but it wasn't really an Evil Dead film. It just so happened that it was in a similar setting. But Bruce Campbell then went on and he also did other stuff like Bubba Hotep, uh, was it The Man With No Brain, My Name Is Bruce. Like He's lived a life in B-movie horrors and B-movie horrors are very much my jam. Like If ever I've got a couple of hours where I think I don't know what to watch, I will go for a B-movie. That will be the, my first port of call will be that genre. That's why I'm subscribed to Shudder because it's chock full of those. I just love um, Bruce Campbell and his autobiography, If Chins Could Kill, is one of like the most fun books I've ever read. It's brilliant. And I do find often that biographies can be a bit dry, but he manages to overcome that really well. And also Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way is a really funny book as well. So, yeah, Bruce Campbell's the man for me. So that's on screen. How about off screen? Stu, who's your favourite horror director? Easy one, this one, straight away. John Carpenter. Yeah, um, top choice. We haven't even met, we got all the way through this second episode, we haven't even mentioned the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and how utterly mental that, that whole thing is. And I only watched it about six months ago. Obviously, like Matt said before, about you got to judge it by the effect of the time. But even so, the practical effects in that are very, very good, mm. even now. I think it's probably even more disturbing, especially with the he- upside-down head one with the little the crab thing. It's just superb, things like that. It, even when it's not horror, or the the, the, um, the subway one. Oh, fuck it, what's it called? Um, Pelham. Oh, the Pelham. taking of Pelham yeah. 1, 2, 3, yeah. Even that. Very different, very different, but at the same time has similar Carpenter vibes for it for me. And mm. his version of The Fog is obviously much better than a lot, a lot that's come since and just copied. So, yeah, easy. And, again, They Live, giving its probably fifth shout-out of the year. <laughs> Amazing film. Yeah, easy choice for me. Mm. Ash, was yours an easy choice? It was kind of... I did toss and turn between a couple, but I've gone for the director and writer of the film that's probably been mentioned most over these two podcasts, and that's James Wan, who created Saw. Um, 
He also did Insidious, funnily enough, mm. to bring it back. And Final F- uh, Fast and Furious 7, randomly. So, <laughs> One of the good ones. Yeah. I think he, for a while, he changed the way horror movies were in that Saw movie with the with the ending. Um, obviously, the way that the Saw movies have ended up, uh, just, yeah, they're a bit much. But that first movie was fantastic. Um, Say so the ending alone is just—it still—it still gives me goosebumps till the end. Mm. Just how he gets up at the end with the music and everything is unbelievable. So yeah, James Wan, because he created the entire universe, it turns out, and he created the Billy Billy the uh, doll. So okay, didn't realize that. Yeah. He's had quite an interesting career, really. I'm just looking now. So he did Saw, Insidious, The Conjuring, Insidious 2, The Conjuring 2, and then peppered in amongst these quite renowned horror films, you've got Furious 7, Aquaman, and then he's doing the next Aquaman film. Like he's... Yeah, just a bit of an odd one. Um, have any of you seen Malignant yet, his latest no, film? No, not yet. I, I, I think I'd like to. Um, but yeah. I will wait till I can watch it in the daytime. In the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I got it on the list. Things. Yeah, I, I'd booked tickets to go and see it, and then heard reviews that it was all over the place. So I didn't bother. I went to see something else instead. But I, I will watch that at some point, just just for shits and giggles. I think. Matt, who's your uh, director, please? Uh, I spoke a few weeks ago about um, the the trilogy of movies um, and taking it back in a more musical direction. I'd probably go with Rob Zombie, believe it or not. Mm. Um, he remade um, Halloween, but he's he, the the thing that I know him for and like him for the most is his 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 trilogy um, of House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil Rejects, and the Three from Hell. Um, it just it, it's it's just it's just grindhouse. It's complete grindhouse, but it's it's so stylish. And Captain Spaulding, who's the mur- like a murderous clown cult leader, is just such an interesting and, and hilarious and deranged character. It's it's just wonderful, and it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And you know, it, it's influenced massively by kind of cult leaders charles manson and the like but i love i love that real life element to it that there are fucking these psychopathic people out there and if you like grindhouse and you like that world um you'd love the rob zombie movies they're really excellent um and they are there for when you need like something high octane but you need not a scare but you need that thrill of just watching something unrelentingly violent and and psychopathic so that, that sometimes we just need because we've had a bad day. <laughs> yeah, uh, was it... Sorry, Steve, carry on. No, I was going to say, I ain't seen them for a long, long time. It, that was one of the early DVD boys, that mm. trilogy. And <laughs> um, yeah, abs- double down on that. I think that's, that's going to be have to be added to the list now because they are superb films. And then I watched House of Wax with Paris Hilton and it all went wrong. I, yeah. I really enjoyed House of Wax. Like, it's <laughs> fucking, it's trash, but it's fun trash. But I was going to ask, was it Rob Zombie who did the Hills Have Eyes remake? 
Or have I got that completely wrong? Uh, I'm not sure if he has. Um, I quite enjoyed that film. I don't think so. Let's have a look. He's... No, Yeah, no, he didn't do that. Okay. Don't believe. I must have it completely wrong. Also, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I've not really seen a lot of Rob Zombie, to be honest. The bits I've seen haven't really been to my taste, but I'll bear down to you on that one, I think. My answer was really difficult. I mean, there's a few directors who we haven't really spoke about. Cronenberg, I think he's excellent. I know we mentioned The Fly last time out. But Cronenberg, Wes Craven, he's obviously a master of the genre. Guillermo del Toro, I don't think there is someone who directs with as much beauty as Guillermo mm-hmm. del Toro. I think he's phenomenal. But I'm going to have to go with George A. Romero. I love the zombie genre, and you don't get the zombie genre without Romero. His original trilogy of, of zombie films are phenomenal. Dawn of the Dead is excellent movie. I, I even like the remake with Snyder, which, I mean, generally speaking, we not huge fans of around here, but... Um, but yeah, George Romero, I think, is brilliant. He managed to create something out of nothing almost. It it feels like he created a movement and everything that's come since, it's all got to be down to him. I think he, yeah, he basically created everything that we love in a horror film. So yeah, George Romero for me, quite, it tends to be quite a bit more simple than expected. So our final selections are from the psychological horror subgenre. So this is the genre focusing on the mental, emotional and psychological states to cause fear within the audience, usually embracing mystery, suspense, paranoia to achieve its aims. Uh, They're usually set within the real world, not asking its audience to imagine a world where ghosts or vampires exist to scare the audience. Instead, holding up a funhouse mirror to the audience, showing people what they recognise, but slightly twisted. Ash, what's your recommendation here? I went with the, the most undeserved 12A I have ever seen in my life. In mm. the woman in black, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that film made was made a twelve A. If you go on Netflix, it's not even a twelve A anymore; it's a fifteen. Um, <laughs> I watched that. I I missed it because I was working it and I didn't want to go in with other people. So I that was one of the last films I've actually watched at home. Put the lights on low and put it on loud, and that scared me. I had the lights on that night. After watching that film, it was unbelievable. Um, watching young children go in to watch that film and there's nothing you could do to stop them. It was beautiful. As they come out crying, it was beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. And it was very it was very good to see Harry Potter coming out and not being Harry Potter and do something different. Because in those kind of film, after those kind of films, they get typecast. But... I didn't see Harry Potter in that film. I just saw an actor. So mm. I think it shows that it was a decent enough film that you don't see Harry Potter getting messed up. You see Daniel Radcliffe, the actor. Yeah. I, to be fair, I think Radcliffe is quite an interesting actor. Since leaving the Harry Potter series, he, he hasn't rested on his laurels. Whereas I think when you look at the other two, they may have done a little bit more so. Whereas Radcliffe's tried to do stuff a bit artier and a bit different. And I think it's all for the betterment of, of his 
um, utter ship, I suppose, for want of a better word. I think, yeah, he's done well. I remember seeing the woman in black in the cinema and there was like two kids behind me who clearly only went because Harry Potter's in this movie. They couldn't have been older than like 13. And like they absolutely shit a brick at some parts of it. Unsurprisingly, because I did too, because it is a properly intense, terrifying film in scenes. There's no way it should have been a 12 hour, you are right. But yeah, just hearing these kids like almost in tears was fucking hilarious at points. <laughs> we we read so we read the book in school. Oh shit! Okay, no, that, that's I'm saying why it was a twelve eight. It was it was part of the curriculum in English. That we we read it when we were we we, we weren't twelve. But I think we we were. I don't think it was GCSE. So it would have been about year nine. And we read it. We read Woman in Black. Yeah, cause I, I know it's. it was written by, or the film at least, was written by Jane Goldman, Jonathan Ross's wife, who also wrote Kick-Ass. So I think that was one of the main reasons I went to see it. And she turned out to be a really good scriptwriter. Yeah, top choice that one is, Ash. Have you only of you seen the the live show? I've heard that's supposed to be very good. No. 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 Interesting. I didn't even know there was a, a stage play, I assume, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Matt, what's your recommendation? So uh, your and I, I must uh, give you props. Excellent description of the suit of the uh, psychological film there, Andy. Very nicely done. You can um, thank Wikipedia. Okay, <laughs> I, 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 and I do regularly uh, by not donating, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but um, it it does re- verge on away from real life at times, but it, it's got to be the classic that is the Shining for me. Um. We've all been there in certain aspects in Jack Torrance's delve and deep dive into his psych, um, you know, his breakdown, basically. Um, it's done in a way that it's so strange in parts and it, it's, it, it jolts you out of your comfort zone very quickly. Like, so when he's going into the bathroom and then there's that sexy woman in the bath and then she becomes this horrible old woman with... Who's, I don't know if she's got leprosy or she's just falling apart, and it's just it's, or the bloke that's getting sucked off by a bear as he, <laughs> as he just like runs past. It's just out of nowhere these bizarre things happen to just throw you off. You think you've got it figured out and you don't. Um, mm. and it's just done in such a way that it's use of music as well, and it's just it's, it's high pitched strings. Um, when Scatman Crothers, is Scatman Crothers, is it? Um, he's like, I think I I'm. Does he? I think he might be watching a porno at the time. He's certainly got like pornographic pictures in his house. He's just there with his mouth aghast, like this, and it's just out of the blue. It will do the. It will do these things to take you out of your comfort zone. And when you think this is just like a run of the mill, he's you know you know it's coming. You know it's coming. Something will happen. Something will flip out. And and Nicholson has this real way of his facial expressions, especially when he's in the bar. Um, and he's talking um, at the bar. You know it's coming, and it's very menacing, and it's paced really well. He's he's declining to his madness, and I just think it was one of the first that I've seen, but I've revisited it so much because it's it's timeless in that sense. And I hope that when people watch it now for the first time, they can kind of look past the fact that it's not all it's not jump scares, it's not um, it's not designed to make you scared. It's designed to make you 
worried and concerned about what's going to happen next, not scare you necessarily. And that's kind of lost now. I think that's a bit of a lost art. Excellent description of that film. Really good. I haven't seen that film in so long that you've really made me want to watch it again. Brilliant. My recommendation is a film called Green Room. So I'd mentioned previously that when I get a couple of hours free, I want to watch a trashy B-movie, preferably one that's about 90 minutes long. That's the ideal time limit for me. And I remember seeing this advertised on Netflix. And I thought, okay, that looks trashy. It's 95 minutes long. Perfect. And I put it on and it ended up just being one of the most intense horror films I have ever sat through. It is a film starring Anton Yelchin, who was in the Star Trek movies, Imogen Poots and Patrick Stewart, who plays this neo-Nazi mob boss, basically. Uh, there's a young group of punk rockers who go to play in this club and they're waiting in this green room and then all shit breaks loose. They need to try and escape whilst all these neo-Nazis around them, led by Patrick Stewart, are trying to kill them. All right, that sounds class. And it is brilliant. Like, oh, I went in with really low expectations, just expecting some nonsense for 90 minutes. And then I was just on the edge of my seat for the whole film. It was really, really fun. So, yeah, that, that's mine. It's from 2015. It's usually on Netflix. Like, it's one of those films that seems to be permanently on Netflix whenever I've looked. So, check it out. Uh, it's made by A24, who do a lot of good indie horror films. So, I think they've become something of um, a certificate in quality for me. But, yeah, brilliant. I think you'd all enjoy that, actually. I think there's mm-hmm. elements that each one of you three would enjoy out of that film. Wasn't that Anton Yelchin's last film before yeah, he died? I believe yeah, so, was. yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, Stu, send us home with your recommendation, please. It's the first... I was trepidatious about this when, when, when I heard who was directing it, just for the fact that you think, how is this ever going to work? How is this ever going to be scary? And Jordan Peele and Get Out is... Classic. The... Epitome of the of this. I mean, if you want to, I generally don't feel things watching films anyway. I just appreciating the yeah, it's fun, but I felt very uncomfortable at multiple times in this film, and obviously for obvious reasons. Um, not being a black man myself, um, I can never experience what it'd be like other than the other way around. Of being in where, which the only guy. In a white suit, well, a whole village that it seems like of white people who obviously don't want you to be there, and just the looks and the, oh, it's just superb. It's it, it's another one where you can you can talk about this for four hours and just ream and ream and yeah, yeah. It was so a, many layers. A, another one of them. Another one of them films that I probably wouldn't have watched. 10 years ago, so I'm glad that it came out now. Mm. It's one of those films as well I, th- I find is as good on repeat viewings. Like I think with a lot of horror, if you've seen it once, you know all the pressure points. So it does take something out of it the second time round. But there's so much to this film, there's so many layers and levels to it that you see so much more the second time round. Like the looks that they give um, mm. Lakeith Stanfield's character. 
like you, you assume it's just because he's a black man in a white world, but actually it's more than that. You find out why, and it's it's so so cleverly layered. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant film. I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, and it's it still hits as hard as it's ever hit. It's excellent movie, excellent. So that is all our recommendations done. But as I mentioned on the previous podcast, we have got one from our friend David Court. That would be writer and horror fanatic himself. So, David, tell us what your recommendations are. Good evening, boils and ghouls. It's... <coughs> no, no, I, I, I can't do it like that. Bear with me one second. Okay, the lovely chaps at Cage Fighting have asked me, David Court, to recommend the final film of their curated horror festival. Because I am very, very old, I've decided to go old school and I'm giving you a double bill. The first of this double bill is a short film called Apaches. Directed by John McKenzie, who would later go on to direct The Long Good Friday, it was released for the Central Office of Information back in 1977. The COI was a branch of the government and released a lot of educational films for kids. Word of warning, it's less a documentary, more a proto-final destination set in UK farmland. The policy in the 70s, and it must have worked because I've never drowned in a grain silo or got electrocuted retrieving a kite, was to scare the ever-living shit out of kids to keep them behaving. It's available for free on the BFI website. I'll pass the link on to the lads, but if you just Google Apaches and BFI, it'll be the first result. Other search engines are available. And when you've watched that, it's time to play the Pearl and Dean music as loud as you can, grab your popcorn, drop a tab of lysergic acid diethylamide, other hallucinogens are available, and watch the main feature. I was trying to think of a decent film to finish a film festival and my first thoughts went to Martyrs and Eden Lake, just to end it on a really miserable note, but then I realised I could do that and have a play on words. What better way to end a festival with a climax? So I've chosen Gaspar Noé's film of the same name. Gasper is an Argentinian director working out of France, and Climax is his fifth feature film released in 2018. It's best entered with as little knowledge as possible, but it revolves around a French dance troupe throwing an after-party after a successful rehearsal. It's Dante's Inferno, if every level in the Inferno was a different floor in a nightclub. I would love to hear your verdicts, guys. I avoided it for an age, but became a little obsessed with it once I'd finally seen it. It's powerful and comfortable viewing, and as for such, is a great way to end a horror festival. Thank you for asking me, and ta a bit. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So, next week is going to be a picture pod, and because it's Halloween, it's going to be Mandy, as we've already mentioned. It's a film that we've all really looked forward to reviewing. That may change when we've actually done it. But I do recommend people watch it. It is an interesting movie. It's available to stream on Shudder. Um, but please check out justwatch.com. Obviously, it may be available on other streaming services too. So big thanks to David Court for giving his recommendation. Please make sure you check out his book, Contents May Unsettle, available on Amazon and elsewhere too. Let us know what films you would have chosen for your horror festival. If you can drop us emails to cagefightingpod at gmail.com or on the Twitter at cagefightingpod. Please make sure that you subscribe on whatever podcaster you're using so that you don't miss a single episode and we would really appreciate a review. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? 
Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. There is no shame in watching a film in the middle of the day with your curtains open and a cushion for protection. <laughs> Stu, would you like to say goodbye? It even has a watermark. Goodbye. <laughs> Ash, would you like to say goodbye? Don't go skinny dipping in the lake, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. You are not content with the stories, so I was obliged to come. Be my victim. Be my victim. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me.